0: You're listening to DNA ID, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, Zodiac Speaking, Beyond Bizarre True Crime, Citizen Detective, and Campus Killings. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. On June 21, 1979, the remains of a woman were found lying next to the north side of Highway 290, near FM 696, about six miles east of Elgin, Texas. The body was found by patrol officers who, I suspect, had stopped by the side of the road for some reason and parted the tall grasses abutting the roadway far enough to glimpse human remains hidden in the weeds. The Bastrop County deputies called it in and investigators responded to the scene. There was no identification on the woman. Her body was in an advanced state of decomposition. In fact, there was no soft tissue remaining. An autopsy on the body was performed by the Travis County Medical Examiner's Office. The M.E. estimated the woman had been dead for four to six weeks. No specific cause of death could be determined. Police theorized she'd been hit by a hit-and-run driver because X-rays of her body revealed that she had a broken pelvis. It was ruled a homicide based on trauma to the body, and vehicular homicide was mentioned in the report as a possibility. I was told that investigators believed and continued to believe that the woman's remains were in that same spot for the four to six weeks she'd been deceased, and just hadn't been noticed because of the native vegetation obscuring her. The woman had the following characteristics. She was white with brown hair. Her eye color couldn't be determined. Her height was estimated at five foot zero to five foot two inches tall, and her estimated weight was ninety to one hundred and thirty pounds. A pretty wide range, but absent any flesh on the skeleton, that was the best they could do. Further, the medical examiner was able to give only a wide range of potential ages for the Jane Doe. She was anywhere from sixteen to forty. The Jane Doe was wearing some clothing that was described as a white Evian JRS pullover shirt with red trim at the neckline and dark blue jeans with the tag reading, Styled in California, size 13 to 14. Whether or not she wore any shoes or jewelry is not reflected in the original reports, and if she was, those items are no longer in evidence. All attempts to identify the woman were unsuccessful. Her death was pretty big news in the area, but even though she received media coverage, no one could provide her name. She was buried in an Elgin cemetery in an unmarked grave. And there she sat, largely forgotten until, in 1984, someone confessed to killing her, someone named Henry Lee Lucas. According to the Lucas Report, issued in 1986 by then-Texas Attorney General Jim Maddox, Lucas confessed to stabbing a white woman in Elgin back in mid-1979. He said she was between 23 and 39 years old. The report lists the murder in Elgin to have involved stabbing-slash-auto-pedestrian accident. Lucas claimed he was assisted by his accomplice, Frida Powell, who would later become one of his confirmed victims. The Lucas report notes that Henry Lee Lucas was working in Jacksonville, Florida at the time, although it's unclear whether that was at the time when the Jane Doe was found or when she was killed four to six weeks earlier. The notes also say that the autopsy did not corroborate Lucas's claim of stabbing, although since there was no soft tissue remaining on Jane Doe's body, it's possible she was stabbed in a place where a bone was not impacted, and the evidence of that had decomposed away. Lucas's confession caused the Texas Rangers and the Bastrop County Sheriff's investigators to reopen Jane Doe's case. According to the Austin American-Statesman, Lucas, quote, "...divulged details of the body's condition and location to sufficiently convince law enforcement at the time that he was the party responsible for the death." the district attorney's office motion for inquest read. But as we know, Lucas later recanted his confessions, including this one. Eventually, he was convicted of committing 11 murders. One of these was the murder of the Jane Doe known as Orange Socks, killed in Georgetown, Texas, in October 1979, the same year as Bastrop County Doe. Lucas died of congestive heart failure in prison in 2001, and the whole world breathed a collective sigh of relief. Whether Lucas's confession to killing the Bastrop County Doe was true or not, it didn't help identify her, as he didn't name her. She remained unnamed for decades, until, in 2019, there was renewed interest in her case. That year, the Bastrop County Sheriff's Office was contacted by the producers of a Netflix documentary about Lucas. They inquired about his possible involvement in the murder of the Jane Doe found in Elgin. This spurred the BCSO to take another look at the case, and Sergeant James Miller was assigned to it in May 2019. He reviewed the file and entered the Jane Doe's description into NamUs, creating profile UP57657 on May 29, 2019. And it was decided that perhaps, with the use of modern DNA technology, they could determine who the Jane Doe was. The problems were twofold. One, they didn't have any DNA from the Jane Doe, and two, they didn't know where or even if she was buried. Back in the day, sometimes Doe's were cremated. Sergeant Miller told me that he was able finally to figure out that the Jane Doe had indeed been buried and where her unmarked grave was in the Elgin Cemetery by poring over old records. On Wednesday, June 19, 2019, the remains were exhumed. This from the Austin American Statesman, quote, Bastrop County Sheriff Maurice Cook, District Attorney Brian Gertz, and other county officials looked on last week as Dr. Harold Gil-King, director of University of North Texas' Center for Human Identification, extracted bone samples from the woman's decaying skeletal remains. The sample was taken to UNT's federally funded DNA lab, where Gil King and the Forensic Anthropology Unit will build a genetic profile of the woman and enter it into a federal DNA database in hopes that it might match the genetic profile of a family member already in the system. We're not looking to solve a crime here, Gertz said, as he drove from the Elgin Cemetery on June 19th. We don't even know that a homicide or a crime occurred. By the time she was discovered, there was not enough soft tissue to where you could tell whether she'd been stabbed or raped or anything. All we're trying to do is put a name and a face to an unknown body, and the best way we got to do that these days is through DNA. End quote. The hopes were, of course, that DNA matching Jane Doe's would be in the CODIS database and provide a genetic link to a family member who might be looking for her. But it was not to be. Even though Jane Doe's bones appeared to be in good shape, and Dr. Gilking was able to obtain a reasonably good sample, no DNA was in the CODIS database that shed light on Jane Doe's identity. Further, no leads from NamUs led to her identification either. The case stalled again. In 2022, the Bastrop County Sheriff's Office decided to try forensic genealogy to identify Jane Doe. They contacted Texas-based Othram Labs and sent them the samples that had been harvested in the 2019 exhumation. But even Othram, with its proprietary forensic-grade genome sequencing technology, was unable to obtain enough DNA to create a SNP profile for Jane Doe. So guess what they did? They exhumed her again. It was done with the assistance of Texas State University in September 2022, and this time, Othram was able to obtain the profile they needed, which was completed on January 12, 2023. The process was funded one-third by the Bastrop County Sheriff's Office contributing seized money from other crimes, one-third by the Bastrop County DA's office, and one-third from funds raised by crowdfunding by DNA Solves, Othram's advocacy arm. I was surprised to learn that the genealogy was all done in-house by Sergeant Miller of the BCSO. He told me that his wife has some significance experience in being a search angel, so he was able to pick it up. On April 3, 2023, Othram provided him with a report containing the results of the upload of the SNP profile to the open source databases, and he took it from there. He told me that in this case, the top DNA relatives shared 555 centimorgans with Jane Doe, requiring the tree builder to go back to only the second great-grandparent level to locate the most recent common ancestor. Sergeant Miller told me that, despite this relatively promising top match, the genealogy was still quite challenging, with lots of roadblocks, including the fact that the DNA trail led to a family who had given a baby girl up for a closed adoption. Sergeant Miller interviewed the family members and filed the necessary paperwork to obtain a court order to pierce the sealed adoption records, so he could learn the name that Jane Doe had while she was living, which was not her birth name. The court order allowed him to determine that Jane Doe, whom he had found by fleshing out her biological family tree using her DNA relatives, was likely to be adoptee Kathy Ann Smith, born July 19, 1956. Upon contacting the Smith family, Sergeant Miller learned that indeed they had adopted Kathy as a baby girl, and she had not been seen or heard from since 1979. Further, Kathy had borne a child before she was killed. So, Sergeant Miller contacted Kathy's adult daughter, and she willingly gave a buckle swab that confirmed that Bastrop County, Jane Doe, was her mother, Kathy Ann Smith. Kathy was 22 years old, almost 23, at the time of her murder. Kathy Ann Smith was her adoptive name her birth name remains private. However, it was important for the BCSO to inform both families, Kathy's birth family and her adoptive family, of her fate and of the location where she was interred. This was done before it was announced publicly that Bastrop County Jane Doe had been identified at long last. Sergeant Miller says that several members of the Smith family were wondering where Kathy was all those years and were relieved that she had been found. They informed him that they had dropped her off at the Salvation Army in Austin in the summer of 1979 and never heard from her again. The family has declined to submit to any interviews and wishes to maintain their privacy, so I was unable to find out whether any missing persons report was ever filed for Kathy. So now for the million-dollar question, what happened to Kathy? How did she end up with a broken pelvis decomposing on the side of a highway in Elgin, which is 26 miles from where she was last seen at the Austin Salvation Army. Well, all my listeners who have heard about Henry Lee Lucas's false confessions in so many cases will be surprised to hear that he has not been ruled out as Kathy's killer, even though he recanted his confession. This from Bastrop County Sheriff Maurice Cook at the press conference, announcing the identification of Kathy Ann Smith. He is talking about Henry Lee Lucas. Quote, There was a connection in Austin, between the Salvation Army and Henry Lee Lucas was there at the same time that Ms. Smith was there. That's where her family let her out, was at the Salvation Army, and Henry Lee Lucas was known to be at that location sometime during that period. I'm not trying to say we've got a strong case that it is Henry Lee Lucas, but he popped up as a suspect early on, and we found evidence during the investigation that there was a nexus between them." End quote. Specifically, the sheriff said that Henry Lee Lucas was placed at the Salvation Army within days of Kathy being there. Not only that, but Sheriff Cook went on, quote, one of his techniques was to find someone walking down the side of the highway and run into them and disable them so he could then sexually attack them, end quote. Could this be what happened to Kathy? Henry Lucas saw her at the Salvation Army and followed her as she walked down the highway, ran into her, abducted her, and raped, killed, and dumped her? I was fascinated to learn that Sheriff Cook personally interviewed both Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, as he was at one point affiliated with the Texas Rangers. He said at the press conference, quote, Whether they did this or not, I don't know. This murder is so old, I doubt seriously if it will ever develop a suspect. We are considering Henry Lee Lucas as our primary suspect. Cook said that his agency went to all the trouble to identify Kathy in order to give closure to her family. Simply put, it was just the right thing to do. Bastrop County District Attorney Brian Gertz also spoke at the press conference. He was visibly moved by the identification of Kathy. Gertz said, quote, We're never going to know specifically what happened that night. We're never going to solve this crime per se. Because by the time she was recovered, there was no way to get to forensic data that could tell us whether she'd been sexually assaulted. We had very little to work with. I was there in 2019 when she was exhumed the first time. This is a fascinating case study. You're talking about a victim that was unidentified for all these many years, and through the joint efforts of law enforcement and the civilian population and private and nonprofit agencies, there's a family that can rest in peace, and there's an individual who's not an indigent person in a grave, and that's a beautiful thing, end quote. Kathy's family is planning on marking her grave with a headstone to finally give her her name back. The investigation into Kathy Ann Smith's death is ongoing. Anyone with information regarding her case is asked to call the Bastrop County Sheriff's Office at 512-549-5100 and reference case number seven nine zero six zero 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 six eight eight. Thank you to BCSO Sergeant James Miller for speaking with me about this case. Recently, I let listeners know about a new benefit available to them called an Abjack Insider subscription that's available through Apple Podcasts. An Abjack Insider subscription will give listeners ad-free access to every bit of DNA ID content published, both past episodes and future episodes. It will also give you benefits like early access and bonus content. Head over to Apple Podcasts and click on the DNA ID show page or the Abjack Entertainment channel to start a free trial. Thanks for listening to this episode of DNA ID. If you'd like to listen to the show ad-free and help support the show in the process, please head over to patreon.com slash dnaid. And if you're interested in some fun DNA ID merch, visit the store at customizedgirl.com slash s slash podcast. To contact the show, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at dnaidpodcast on Instagram, at dnaidpodcast on Twitter, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. Finally, if you want to visit our website, go to dnaidpodcast.com. You'll be able to get all the episodes of the show, leave comments on episodes that I can respond to, and you can even leave voicemails. You'll get all the latest news about the show and important updates. Find links to our social media, merch, and a lot more. It's really your one-stop shop for everything DNA ID. DNA ID is written, researched, and hosted by me, Jessica Bettencourt. It's produced by me and Mike Morford of Abjack Entertainment. Music by Connor Bettencourt. Check out our other collaborative podcasts, Scene of the Crime, Missing Persons, and Beyond Bizarre True Crime.